Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hello, everybody. This is Liam Billingham, co-host of Oeuvre Busters. Before we jump into this week's episode on happiness featuring Philip Seymour Hoffman, I would like to ask you to please, if you have not, rate, review, and subscribe to our show. Um, It really helps us get attention. The best place for you to review is on Apple Podcasts. That seems to be where most of our listeners are listening to the show. And the more reviews, the more ratings we get, the more people will find the show. Right now, right now we have 16 reviews, 15 of which are five stars and one is four stars. And whoever wrote that four-star review, we're going to find you. And thank you for reviewing our podcast. We love you. This is a unique episode because for reasons that I won't get into that are boring, I'm actually recording the introduction before I finished editing the episode. Um, I do want to apologize for just what I think are going to be the just really offensive stuff that George does and says during the episode in addition to his mouth breathing. You know, I tried to cut out, cut it all out, but um, there was just so much problematic material that at a certain point I just had to throw my hands in the air and release it. So apologies if you are just any kind of person from any background that's offended by this, which is probably everybody. Um, George George has a real problem. Um, yeah, that's it. We, we hope you enjoy this week's episode on happiness. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Vergopoulos. And this is Uverbusters. Oh, you did it. I did do it. Yay! Yay! Congrats. Um, thank you so much. Listen, I need ton, I need ton. I need to let I need to let all uh, all all your farts out. All of our listener know that I have seen Star Wars. Star okay, Wars? That was my opportunity. Star Wars? Star Wars to say like I've seen the Star Wars. I know what I it's like all Star about. Star Wars for refreshing hope. That's a really good one. <laughs> so 1998, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Directed by Todd Salons. Also starring Dylan Baker. Dylan Baker. Laura Flynn Boyle. Laura Flynn Boyle. Jane. Elizabeth uh, Ashley. Jane. A- the, incredible, Jane the Incredible Jane Adams. The Incredible Jane Adams. Catherine uh, Mannheim uh, yep. makes an appearance. Jared Harris makes yep. an appearance. And we should s- Ben Gazzara. Gazzara, of course, yes. So I feel like... Uh, it's crazy. It's ridiculous because it's actually Gazara cast. It Gazzara is. Cast. Welcome to Gazara cast, <laughs> the home of all things Ben Gazara. Um, so this is '98, um, it, the same year as Big Lebowski. Yeah. Uh, this film came out like a few months after Big Lebowski, which is sure. why we did it second. No, I looked up the dates specifically. Also, it's worth noting that this film was produced by Good Machine um, and Killer Films. Good Machine was Ted Hope's company. Good. And Killer Films was Christine Vachon's company. Yeah, you got it. Um, and I just think it's worth pausing. And, and like Ted Hope is really, it was really important. I mean, is really important for independent film. And like, you know, he got a lot of people's careers off the ground. And like, I don't think this movie gets made now. And I think it's because like, movies like this don't have the same pull in the industry and i think it's because the industry's changed but also ted hope is doing other things and christine vachon is 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 notable because she's like produced a slew of films but most recently she produced first reformed the paul schrader oh yeah that's an amazing film and she's like a badass person and human being so worth noting that like good machine was this incredible thing that happened and it's not around anymore and and uh, i don't think you would have gotten a vision this specific 
if there weren't these companies. A lot of people like give credit to the directors entirely, but it's it's producers that get these things. Yeah, that's really on the screen. That historical kind of context is interesting too, because obviously I did not know yeah. any of that. But I am interested to talk about this film as a historical document. Let's as talk a about it as a like historical document. The late nineties. Before we do that, should we? Do you want to? Should we? Can I? Can I attempt a summary, or do yeah, you want to do please, it? Please, no, please go ahead. All right, I'll C- attempt the quick summary, and then you take us through the. It long is a bit summary. of a baggy monster. So happiness is about the Jordan sisters broadly. There's George or. George There's Jordan? Joy Jordan, played by Jane Addams. There's Helen Jordan, played by Lara Flynn Boyle. And there's Trish Jordan, whose name is now Maplewood, played by Cynthia Stevenson. Correct. Who's fucking incredible no, the perform- in this movie. I really did not like this film, but the performances are incredible. And would you just hold off Sorry. on your goddamn opinion? And Dylan Baker as Bill Maplewood, Trish's husband. Peripherally to that, there are their parents, um, who are played by Luis Lasser as Mona Jordan and Ben Gazzara as Lenny Jordan. And the film is kind of about their lives. Jane is sort of a musician slash teacher who's not really sure what to do with her life and gets into a complicated relationship with a student played by Jared Harris. Um, Laura Flynn Boyle, Helen Jordan is a, is a sort of, is an author. She's a one poet, of those, which is weird. It's, it says she's, she's a, a poet, poet but, but she, but it's unclear. This is one of those movies that it seems like the person writing it didn't really know what it's like to be a professional writer, <laughs> right? Um, which is weird. <laughs> well, and also, the final family member is Trish, who um, is husband Bill is revealed throughout the course of the film to be a pederast. Very early on. Too. Very early on, revealed to have a un a very problematic relationship to young boys yeah, and then he rapes two of them and there's also a character named alan played by philip seymour hoffman who doesn't directly connect to the film until the very very end and his sort of strange well, well that's not in true the very beginning you find he, that he's in therapy and with he, dylan baker he is in therapy with dylan baker i forgot about that uh, bill maplewood and he also has an obsession with bill's sister-in-law laura flynn boyle and by the end of the film, he has a stronger connection to the family, but he also has a thematic connection to the young boy in the film, which we can talk about, which I want to get into a little bit. Um, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about I that. I find movies where everything is connected to be so goddamn pedantic <laughs> and cliche. It can be. I think if it feels like it's forced, it totally yeah, does not work. It doesn't entirely feel like it's forced in this, but I'm still a, a mildly annoyed by it. And then the film ends with... <laughs> <laughs> it ends with someone coming. Yeah. Let's just leave it there. Quite literally. So, uh, Bill, Bill, Bill Fragopoulos. Uh, yeah. That was that was my. How did yeah. how was that, the, how was that description? It was amazing. It was amazing. But a uh, Cameron Mannheim. I believe I said Catherine Mannheim. I'm sorry for mispronouncing. So him. you didn't like the film. So let's talk about the film. What you? Th- yeah. Overall impressions. Yeah, I didn't like it. Okay, good. The Moving end. on. That's it, right? Thank, <laughs> thanks for listening to Uvra Fusters. Uvra Fusters. I will say this: that I definitely I, the performances I thought were great. Yeah, it's a really well acted movie. It w- I wasn't bored, but good. I was repelled in a way that I felt was um, not productive. Let's leave kind of leave it at. Oh, interesting. That. Repelled in in a not productive way. I just felt like again it was it was going for shocking in a very kind of um, rather simplistic sort of way. So I tweeted out also like in jokingly but not jokingly. George doesn't joke when he tweets. Definitely not on Twitter. He takes Twitter very seriously. That this film was about like the end of history. That it was about a moment, let's say, in American history. Here we go. With the where, politics again. Where in. <laughs> I'm not getting off this soapbox. Um, you know, like can a, you not yell into the goddamn microphone? Certain kind of, you know, like the Clinton era politics. Okay. Uh, the uh, end of obviously any sort of kind of um, uh, any sort. Of, there, there, there's no like, l- let's say, kind of a outside to capitalism with the fall of the Soviet Union, right? The capitalism is kind of like taking over the world, blah blah blah, and that's what we're kind of suggest by saying by the end of history, this is a very bad summation. You're gonna have to edit a lot of this out. But just the whole point is that there's no, let's say, I felt that the, these people's ennui and their joylessness and their sadness was not in any sort of way kind of earned, if that makes sense. Le- I'm very intrigued by that. Um, uh, when you talk about, and I might edit this out, but I'm curious, when you talk about the end of history, do you mean history with like a capital H or yeah. do you mean, so what is that? Just basically that that everything that's happening here with these characters, that there's no kind of sense, A, that 
their depression, let's say, or their sadness has anything to do with, let's say, capitalism and or that there's no sense of happiness that is not happiness other than in the most simplistic, narcissistic way. Okay, so, so that's interesting to it's me. Not, it's not at all a coincidence. Like, the entire thesis of the film is the fact that the fucking kid masturbates and, like, comes at the end. And I was like, great, like, that is... Because why does that happen at the very end? It's a moment of happiness. But it, it to me, it's also, right. like, the most... It's, like, the cheapest, crassest kind of <laughs> expression of that. Yeah. That there's no sense of, let's say, joy that exists. Which is interesting, because that's the main character's name. Outside, oh yeah very good yeah that exists outside of the self and that to me was what was really upsetting okay. about this film so when you say is not your like nose this, is your nose okay are you yeah, doing coke i've been doing lots of coke not <laughs> stay up all night watching todd salon's complete <laughs> filmography and doing coke i was just trying to figure yeah um stay on that mic i'm yeah, being so really I, critical i, I guess that's kind of what i meant I don't know if I understand it, so let's let's dig into let's let's let's, do let's get through this. Walk through the film? Let's walk through the film, but I will say that I think um, I think that the 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 when whenever you make a film about happiness, it would cause your audience maybe to reflect on your definition of happiness. Totally, and you know, there's this great theater director named Richard Foreman, and he has a book about yeah. directing, and he wrote this thing about how like he wanted when people watch his work he this is years ago so he might mm-hmm. not ascribe to this anymore but when he wrote this book he was like i want people to be looking at my choices i don't want people to be thinking about the actor i want them to be thinking about me uh, which is like you know where, however you may feel about that as like a response to something whatever uh but i spent a lot of time watching this thinking about like who the fuck is todd salons <laughs> as a person yeah well just like what is this thing? Yeah, it's funny. Too. It's a very perplexing movie. Because I also went back and I found uh, a short piece that Roger Ebert wrote about the mm. new geek cinema. And I th- I remembered, like, I misremembered. Like who, who else? Like Hal Hartley? Or? I don't remember exactly who, but obviously. Solange Do your research, kind of, Fred Opelous. I should have done, yeah, I should have done taking better notes. But this, he, Ebert was very, uh, he, he, he liked this film. Sure. Um, I like this film in some way. I really like this film in some ways. We can talk about what those are, but yeah, I, I don't th- think it's it's entire. It's too much to dismiss it. I I sort of tweeted that it does nothing for me as a movie. Um, but uh, I do like some things about the film. I, I think it's like exceptionally well crafted. Let's let's get into it, right? right Should so we just get into it? Film begins. Film begins with the scene. critic himself. Uh, the critic himself, John Lovitz, um, in an amazing. He's amazing in this. Movie. He is amazing in this. Yeah, and he's having dinner with. Uh, uh, Joy, Joy Jordan, played by the effervescent, incredible Jane, Jane Adams. Adams, and also effervescent because, especially early on in the film, she's lit entirely with the soft light, oh. and it, yeah, it, it yeah, keeps right. cutting yeah. the soft light, and then it keeps cutting onto John Lovett's face as she breaks up with him, yeah. and it's a much harder light, and it's very, very um, artificial. So they're having dinner, and it's a breakup at a scene. weird restaurant. Yeah, and it's a very kind of obviously like uncomfortable, uh, awkward breakup scene, and basically she dumps him. Right. And he kind of loses it. At some point, he gives her a gift. Yeah, which is a ashtray. Yeah, after after she dumps him. And then he quickly takes it back. And he's like, no, I just want you to know. You think I'm yeah, ugly. What, what are you missing out on? Because yeah. I'm going to give that ashtray. Great gift. Amazing gift. Uh, amazing gift. Yeah. By the way, thank you for that ashtray. You're welcome. For my birthday. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, also, when it was inscribed with my name. Yeah. Like, it was, oh, the calligraphy. Was, it's, it's a lot of. The, whoever, whever did the calligraphy on that. Mwah. An oh. artist. Uh, and it was yeah, the same person that made the prop for the movie Happiness, <laughs> and it quickly goes sour, and he kind of takes it back from her, and he's like, "No," he goes like, it's "Very hate filled yeah, speech." Yeah, he goes like, "I'm champagne, and you're shit." And basically, this kind of thing where he says like, "Oh, you think kind of I'm shit," but who do you it think turns out that Todd hates shit. more men or women? I think he's a misanthrope in general. But this is also going back to that Eber thing. And sorry if, if to kind of already derail us. Oh, Jesus. I know. I just love Roger Ebert. Uh, rest in peace. You R. just R. said P. Roger to Ebert. Roger? I, I love Roger to Ebert. To Roger to Ebert? Hello, I'm Roger to Ebert. <laughs> <laughs> That's his cyborg. Uh, so the thing that Ebert said, in, uh, or that Solon said in this uh, interview with Ebert, is that he likes these characters and that he, f- he kind of, feels bad for them and he, and i was like no fucking way like mm, this, interesting like you, no that's interesting you are like there might be some cognitive the, dissonance uh, perhaps so what happens after jane so then we have a little title card this is so, happiness and some music some mm-hmm. music and then music. we cut to uh laura flynn boyle coming home 
Uh, and this is also where we get her first interaction with Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman, played yeah. by Alan. Now, worth noting... Oh, wait, actually, sorry, we're skipping the therapy session. Because before this, actually, there's a therapy session. Cuts to Philip Seymour Hoffman in therapy. Are, already off the, uh, already already off the, the summary. Should we edit that out? So, Phil, cut to <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. Sitting. Right there. Second scene. And Booyah. he is... Um, He's in therapy. Yeah, with Dylan Baker. And his doctor is Bill Maplewood, played by the incredible Dylan Baker. He's Dylan amazing. Baker is, this is what a move to take this, to do this movie. Yes. What yeah. a move. Uh, would you say he's the best part of the movie? In terms of obviously his performance. I think so. Yeah. I oh, know. He's definitely my fave character. <laughs> Love him. So, and it's, and this is also, I felt like it was like kind of a cheap, funny scene. So obviously like Phyllis Super Hoffman, cheap. Is going on and on about how terrible his existence is, how terrible his life is, how awful he is. And then it's he feels like no one listens to him and notices him. And then, of course... Of course, the interior monologue. Dylan Baker begins an internal monologue where he's mm-hmm. listing what he has to do, which is not something that any human being does. <laughs> no one sits there. Like, I'm not... Like, I'm talking to you right now. In my head, I don't have the internal monologue of, like, so gotta fu- pick up my grocery gotta pick up the groceries it's such a bad joke gotta dry clean it's such it's, it's such, such a, a bad joke yeah it's such a bad joke but can it's we it's also s- not funny not jokes funny. are supposed to yeah. be funny and it's it's hacky exactly can we also by the way just very briefly talk about how so one of the things also that you suggested is when we take a look at the uh very brief clip of phyllis Seymour hoffman from boogie nights yes uh with the i'm an idiot scene yeah, when he kisses Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, which is fucking I have a big amazing. theory that I want to talk about that I think I want to wait till we get to the okay, end cool. to talk about But it. I just wanted to quickly say that how... No, I said I want to wait until the end. <laughs> so think about that scene. I got you ashtray, an ashtray. From, from the, how amazing it is that Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of embodies physically the characters he oh plays. Oh my God. And he just does such an amazing He's fucking amazing incredible. Yeah, he's... It's... The, I mean, it's the, unbelievable. The sadness and kind of the the pathetic quality of this character yeah. just comes across in the way like it instantaneously and he knows what to do with his mouth and his face and like i i wonder like if on set he was i, I don't see him as the kind of actor who has to like stay in character or anything Method, like yeah. that i see him as a guy that can i mean this is predicated upon nothing except that he just seems like a craftsman as much as like an I artist actually, i actually heard though on the set of mi3 was trying constantly to kill tom cruise even <laughs> between why are you laughing? This is serious. <laughs> Even like, in between scenes. Fuck you. Fuck you. Come out your ears. <laughs> Tom Cruise was like, what? What? He's like, you know hey, what, Tom, you, you, know what Tom, you need? I'm Scientology I'm session. Fuck you. I have some coupons here. Phil. Um, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> Phil. <laughs> they had already done a movie together, though, before Mission Impossible 3. It was called Magnolia. Hmm, uh, by? What's this? Paul by Thomas by? Anderson. No, that doesn't sound about right. So then we cut to uh, Laura Flynn Boyle, yep. who's a writer or poet, I guess. Poet of some out. kind, who's kind of like. um. Is there a comparative to, like, who. Like, obviously, she's not supposed to be as specific, but do you get as. <laughs> Siri, do you want to get in on the podcast? Oh my God, Laura Flynn Boyle is here. <laughs> my dog is. Siri, Siri, come here. Siri. This is fucking the whole amateur hour. Siri, come here. Sierra. So ridiculous. Siri, Siri, Siri. Where does the name Siri come from? Siri, it's it's like. Um, is it a Gaelic name? No, it's actually um, Italian. So, sounds pretty Gaelic. It means like cheetah, like like little like little baby. I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. That's very cute. C i r a. C i r a. Siri, smell Liam's sneakers. <laughs> smell my sneaks. Smell my sneaks. So we cut to Laura from the. Oh wait, you're just, um, yeah. Do you feel like there's like um, a comparison? I don't know. It's just like you're you you you're very well read. Of course, and I am. Is there like a? I am um, wearing a tweed jacket with leather patches <laughs> on the elbows right well, now. Well, you know what? I'm smoking a pipe. Stop. <laughs> um, all your no. students on ratemyprofessors.com <laughs> say right. you're great. Yeah. <laughs> no, they actually hate me. So. Is there a compa- well? You know, here's another I think shitty thing about the film. And yes, I get it. It's not really about her as a writer, right? Or poet but or whatever. But for similitude is important. It is important. Generality is Just the enemy of art. So said Konstantin Stanislavski. Do you guys right hate it? me yet? Because I hate me. <laughs> as it is on this podcast. So it's a really funny story. I went on vacation with my now wife mm-hmm. and my very good friend, uh, and uh, another good friend a couple years ago. And uh, he he's the kind of friend who. We everything is an inside joke, and we spent a week just doing really pathetic impressions <laughs> of Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm fucking such an idiot, fucking idiot. So, so stupid. 
and and when you're I thought it was and the when funniest you thing. and when you then girlfriend I thought it was so funny when your then girlfriend made it through yeah that's how like, you were like you I probably marry, marry. Yeah, I'm just gonna marry this woman because if she <laughs> could put up with that you marry me I love you so much. <laughs> Um, wow, we're really off the rails. So there's no, yeah. So we don't get a sense of her as an artist. I mean, we do get a little bit of a, a sense. Bit. She of reads like, from her thing of joy. Um, when I don't remember that. It's been a while since I've seen this, but I don't remember her reading. Isn't from there? Her no, she's not reading, but she's looking. Maybe we see a cover. We see like a, a bit of poetry. I honestly do not remember that. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel we'll like it does a bad joke. It's a bad joke. I feel like it's a bad job with dealing with her as an artist. That's good to know. So c- we cut to her coming home, and her neighbor is Philip Allen, Seymour played Hoffman. by yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. And we find out that obviously he's very. We find out very quickly that he is obsessed with. Now her. let's take a minute and discuss because I think it's important to Please. understand. Uh, he's sort of a chubby guy. He is. Um, he's glasses. He's clean shaven. He dresses like every white guy in the late 90s uh everything is very sort of his clothing is very sort of pale like he doesn't wear any rich colors um and he works in tech he's in some kind of it position correct um and he's kind of in the elevator and he wants to talk to her right and he's struggling and he to talk to and her. then actually the second he says something he's kind of suave for like how he's like hey what's <laughs> up and you're like Whoa. Is he really? I mean, I think, he, I think she's he comes totally off as, disgusted from the very he beginning. He comes off as quite natural for like half a second, though, and you can see how hard he's working. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. No. Yes. Um. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm just. I, I felt very deeply for this guy. He's maybe the most sympathetic. One of the most sympathetic. I think Joy is the most sympathetic Ooh. character in the movie, but he's very sympathetic. And I think in a film where everyone is horrible. And that's when I say I, I find it very hard to latch on to anything in this movie. Everyone in this movie is horrible. Correct. They're yeah. horrible white people. Yeah. But I felt like, again, that there's no... That horribleness right. isn't earned. It's empty. It's empty. Do exactly. you think it's like a satire? I think there's certain satirical elements. Yeah. Uh-huh. But again, I feel like also even in satire, you have to kind of care about your characters. And I feel like these yes. people have been developed just so he could fucking it's like shit a, on them. I agree. It's a very smooth movie. Like it has nothing to, to, to latch on to in terms of like who I'm supposed to care yeah. about and feel deeply right, about. Yeah. And that could be, I will give uh, Todd Salons the benefit of the doubt and say like, maybe that's an intentional choice because he is an artist and he is very in charge of his craft and he's a really I wouldn't say he's, at least from my point of view, an incredibly deep writer because I don't think this film has that. I think it has one really interesting thing to say. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, I don't think it has that much to say. But he's like meticulous and the performances are almost, with the exception of some weird moments, almost really perfectly modulated. But I still don't feel like it says anything. Anyway. It doesn't, and doesn't I, yeah, and again, get I, there. and we'll get to like more of the shocking moments too. But again, I feel like it's most shocking moments are not earned because right. again, I would say like the most sympathetic character is fucking Dylan Baker, and only because his mm. ca- only because he does a great, jo- and that's what I think is a problem with the fucking film. Like when your most sympathetic character is the pedophile and the rapist, like you're doing something well, wrong. I think and I feel like it's sorry, and I feel no, like again like the shock. I was just talking. Uh, the shock. Can you shut the fuck up? <laughs> I feel like the shocking aspects of that right are where like the film loses me like oh isn't it so provocative but i think but i think in fairness i this is a hard thing to articulate but the movie's almost ironic it's it it has this sort of glaze over it that prevents you from engaging in it but the almost but there's also like a lack of irony but irony has become such like a central unfortunate tenant of our culture that I think the movie now loses almost all impact because it's it feels like a museum. In 20 years on, it feels yes. like a museum piece. Right. And, that, and again, I don't want to shit on... I, it's hard to make a fucking movie and it's almost impossible to make a movie like this, but I, I feel like it's very much a product of its time, which might be what how it relates to your theory about the end of history. Yeah, yeah. Like if, if this film struck me as being very, you know, like clinton era kind of like the politics has kind of exhausted itself like history has exhausted itself like this is the dead end but don't you feel like that could be the what something the movie's trying to say but that again no i don't i really okay. don't i really because again i think like when moments of happiness do occur they are in such they're done in, they're presented in such a kind of narcissistic way mm. again like the dead end of like i came 
I mean, if that's where your film goes, and again, I, I get it. I get that there might be like a satirical element. To well, it. don't forget what happens immediately before that. But we'll get there. We'll, yes, get, we'll there. get there. We'll get there. So, so Seymour Hoffman. Seymour Hoffman Allen strikes out with yeah. Laura Flynn Boyle. He showers, gets on his bed, and calls her. Yeah, which is great too. Like some nostalgia. He flips through the phone, phone book. book, and then he hangs up. Yeah, and he goes like, "I'll fuck you so hard, I'll fuck you so hard." I'm fuck you so and she's hard. like, "Who is this?" And all we hear is her voice, and he quickly hangs up. And that's obviously like wh- what his character is. We find out he's the guy who calls up women, and so is quick note to them. when I thought saw this the first time I watched this film was like, well, I moved here. T- I watched it pretty soon after moving here, so I would say that I saw it in 2010, 2009, mm-hmm. 2010, and um, I thought. That stuff was so funny. There's the, a lot of funny. So hard. But now to think about that kind of person kind of existing in their gross apartment. Yeah. Of course, now it would be someone in front of a computer. Right. It's so disgusting. And it's not. I, I mean, again, it's, it's, upsetting, it's, it's yeah. funny because like it's Philip Seymour Hoffman and it's this now like revered, you know, actor who passed away well before his time, like in his early work. And it's funny because it's so pathetic. But now like that's the kind of motherfucker that runs this yeah, country. Yeah. So it's like a lot harder to laugh at it. Like it sticks in your throat now. Totally. Yeah. But then we cut to joy. Who's right. Having uh, lunch with her sister, uh, Cynthia Stevenson, yeah. Trish, Trish, who Cynthia Stevenson may have the second most thankless role in this movie. <laughs> yes. And she's, she's kills it. She's, she's incredible. Yeah. She's incredible. And she's also, of course, like detestable because she kind of, uh, lords her, you know, uh, um, seemingly amazing uh, life on her over like her sister. She's like, oh, I have it all. Like, I'm who's not who does who, a great husband? It's, yeah, and it's like she's not very self aware. And she's like telling her sister, like, oh, what you really need. We to never do thought is you were going to amount to anything, yes, Joy. Exactly. She's like, well, like to be honest, like the entire family was like, no, you suck. You're a loser. It's also really interesting to think that two of the sisters are artists, and like Trish isn't. And later on, Trish says that she might want to write a novel. Oh my god. And she gets like laughed I could write a no- I could yeah. I could write a novel. I just don't know if I want that kind of fame. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting to think but it's interesting to think about her as like a failed artist. Right. And Well, um, the movie also has a very strict definition of like what artists. I feel like in some ways like I just feel like do you sometimes feel like sometimes movies that and I feel this way about like Lars von Trier mm-hmm. like that they're so stuck to a particular point of view about the world that they border on a kind of like conservatism. And like, when I say that, and like, I mean like a negative kind of like, I mean, yes. all conservatism yeah. is generally negative unless it's related it's to like, obvious, unless it's related to like obvious, important conservation activities right. and stuff like that. But, uh, which obviously they're different things, but like, I don't think I really like this guy's values at all because I feel like he's like, this is, I'm 17 and this is how the world is. That's what I mean. Yeah, no, like exactly. That there's excellent. That's going back to like the end of history thing. It's sort of fucking make it so like academics, but that there's no outside to this enclosed narcissistic cynical degrading that we could give him we could we one could make the argument that that's the point that that's what he's saying that these people are so self-absorbed that they don't acknowledge a world outside themselves. But it, it, but I feel like if there's nothing in the film that gestures towards that, then there. See, this is where I think we we might there might be room okay. for a larger All discussion. Right. Yeah. Um. But I I didn't find that in the film. I, I'd be interested to hear what you let's, said as let's, far as let's that keep outside. going. I'm saving so we this. Cut to this scene. Actually, I thought was really funny. Cut to Dylan Baker walking through the park, and what does he have in his hands? Oh, that's right, an auto, like an automatic weapon. <laughs> Are you laughing yet? No, it's like. <laughs> And he basically he shoots up the park, and you find out it's that awful. Is, that this is like, of course, it's awful. Yeah, I was, especially I was because there was totally, like totally three shootings sarcastic. today. Probably. Yeah, like Welcome to America. So, and then you find out that this is like a fantasy that he constantly has. That he talks to his therapist. He talks to his therapist about. about. And his therapist says something like, "Oh, like so you found this version of your fantasy kind of I forget what he says, but like optimistic." He's like, "Oh yeah, because I didn't kill myself at the end of this mm-hmm, one." Mm-hmm, Cut mm-hmm. to Dylan Baker. This is when the film gets really funny. No, I don't. Oh, say is this the magazine? Yeah, and he runs so into. So he's driving. We still don't know that he's a pedophile. We don't know. Well, he might not be a pedophile yet, in the sense that we don't know yet? if this stuff has happened before. Oh. What I mean to say is, no. I wonder if this is the first time he's ever raped anyone. Oh, I totally know. I think this has like been going on for a very long time. Mm, okay, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because don't you feel like obviously the fantasies are like a symptom of that, like of a, this kind of that he realizes obviously that he's a monster. No, I think that the arc of the film only gets him there. 
Oh, I totally disagree. No, I think. Well, you're wrong. So it's like hard for (laughs) me to debate. No, I don't know. I I, I mean, I could be being totally naive. I mean, I don't. It's not that I think that like you can localize a, a problem and be like, it's just this. But like the sort of clumsiness with which he tries to execute that rape of that kid is like sort of interestingly like. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something yeah. it feels. Also, I think from like a dramatic stakes perspective, it's a little more interesting if it's if this is the f- yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah. It's what a fucking perverse thing we're talking about. Yeah, right I, now. Well, I mean, welcome, welcome to happiness. So he goes. Uh, he stops at a uh, like a like a. Like like a like a CVS, like a CVS. Yeah. Uh, no not to drag CVS into this this but and then he buys like a teen, <laughs> brought to you by like, CVS he buys like a Teen Bot magazine something like that and then he gets into the and you see the same magazine later on in this kid's which uh, you gotta wonder if it's the same copy yeah which and he, bothers me and he cuts to him like in his car right. and, and he's in his car and he like can't, almost doesn't get to the car before he jerks off yeah and the film very effectively puts a family and their daughter getting into the car behind him yes. and you hear very clearly them talking and it's like very 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 troubling also um you know a kind of movie that uh comes at the end of the is not too far away from when american beauty got released huh um and american beauty is obviously like the sanitized version of this that's a really interesting comparison yeah it's a terrible movie just about how awful like suburbia is and how yeah so we cut to dylan baker coming home yes and he has like an exchange with his wife and this is actually where he also kind of maybe gives one of the uh thesis statements of the film where they're kind of talking about um just being lonely and i think like he says something like oh we're all alone and obviously, like to some degree, I think she kind of either I don't remember exactly, but she kind of yeah. either dismisses that or doesn't even kind of like pick up on yep. it. And this is a moment where the family scenes in this movie border on like the parody. That kind hey, of yeah. it's like maybe that's intentional. But if that's intentional, fuck you, because give me something to I get that suburbia is awful. I get that these people are in some ways very terrible. Yeah. I would like to have a modicum of interest in them as people. Yes. No, I agree. Yeah. And that's why I think, again, they're also like caricatures. Oof, I'm all fired <laughs> up. <laughs> and this, it's funny too, because this, so, there, so she also like tries to like kiss him and clearly she's kind of um, like physically into him and yeah. he kind of like, I think pushes her away, but it's also a callback to the therapy so scene gross. too. Yeah. It's so gross. Because um, they don't have a sexual relationship. Yeah, he he lies to like his therapist and is like, oh, like I'm not into the sex. She's not into the sex. But clearly, obviously, like sh- no, she's into the sex. But he obviously, oh right, that's a good point. Because of his predilections, does not want to have sex with her. And this is where we have like his first, and also so the next scene quickly cuts. We're still in the house where he has his first kind of a, um sexual discussion with his son Billy. I think these scenes are good. These scenes are good. Yeah, totally. And actually, even so, this is the first time I've seen this film. But I do remember either reading about like the scenes between him and they're his, his so son. explicit. Yeah, and just about how they're kind of like the emotional core of yeah. this of this film. I agree. And he's basically they're kind of perverse discussions between a father and yeah. a son. And he's having, uh, yeah, his son Billy is asking Bill just about like, oh, like dad, what's come. He's like, well, Billy. It's like, well, let me tell you. And it's kind of he gives like is. a very academic. Worth learning that he is a doctor, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So he has like a very clinical response to to that. Yeah, and the and the, there's like three of these scenes yeah. where he'd like to basically have a triptych. Have oh, very good. Yeah, Thank you. Trip, I this, this film should have been called Trip Trip Dicks because <laughs> all the cum. Um, there are literally two cum shots in this film. I'm only I only counted one. There's the one. At Did the you watch the direct end? Night? And then there's the one when. Alan comes and then cleans it off the wall with a postcard. Oh yeah, it's God. fucking disgusting. God. <laughs> Just for fuck God. it. Uh, keep going. Cut to palm trees, and we are in sunny, sunny Florida. Florida. So worth noting very quickly that we didn't talk about this before. The majority of this movie takes place in New Jersey, with a few brief sort of trips into Manhattan. I can't wait yes. to talk about the the strikers with you. I'm sure you have opinions I'm on sure that. I have opinions and about that. And then Florida, where we see. The parental units of the Jordans, uh, Luis Lasser playing Mona. Mona Jordan and Ben Gazzara playing Lenny Jordan. Uh, this is my least favorite Ben Gazzara performance because I think he's great in it, but like an, an aging Ben Gazzara like fills me with uh, a deep, 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 deep sadness. And he feels so much older in, in this than he did in The Big Lebowski. Yeah. So just basically that, like in the sense that like, he yeah, feels... Yeah, it's also just like, I don't know. Like it's close like, to death. Does it remind you of the grand specter of death? Of death. No, not really. I just uh, he's. I mean, he's he just death so so. Rise. Worth noting that Mona and Lenny 
are uh, Lenny has told prior to our for our introduction of the film, Lenny has told Mona that he wants to leave or he doesn't want a divorce, not a divorce, but he wants to leave. And they have this really sad, very American moment where they're having a conversation, <sighs> so but they're both watching TV. Yeah, yeah. I the just, TV's just on, and I, she's very upset about I it. I will say this though: this film did fill me with like an existential ennui, and like, oh, really? Like, uh, like the how it like washes over you with like all these characters are like yeah. so fucking like depressed. I don't and, know. Like I don't think I felt so. I did. Fi- I did find it funny though, where there's kind of this conversation where it's like, "Did I say anything about a divorce?" I said, "I want to leave you." I yeah. didn't say anything about a divorce. He just wants to be alone. Because later on, also she gets mad at somebody who says, "Like, oh, so you're getting a divorce?" She's like, who said I said anything about a divorce? Well, I think that it's interesting because that guy is approximately our father's age, and mm. if you're talking about the idea of the end of history or like American society at a specific moment, the idea of a man in his 60s or 70s closing closing in on death yeah and wanting to be alone is actually a really really intriguing idea that the movie doesn't do in my opinion nearly enough there's a hilarious though uh psych gag at the very end which with the the salt the salt which i thought was fucking amazing yeah it's very good (laughs) but there is something really sad in the idea of like a man he's like by all by all accounts has Mm. a pretty good life he's retired he lives in florida i mean that sounds awful but it does you know um but then he's three daughters he'll be underwater in like 30 years that's true so um yeah i think <laughs> jesus and he calls um she oh the mom calls trish right trish, so trish or trish calls yeah and this is where like trish finds out that they're getting a divorce for the first did you time. watch leno last night <laughs> fucking of course these fucking people watch leno oh god leno leno's the worst letterman all the way baby so we cut to Lars seriously though can we yeah, talk about oh, leno geez, geez, I, jay god. leno is god, oh. no he sucks he sucks he sucks. It's all Letterman all the like time. Like the last like twenty years. I mean, I, some people tell me that at some point he was funny He's and never edgy. Funny. <laughs> That's my Jay Leno impression. <laughs> do it. Ah, do it again? I own cars. <laughs> fuck off. No, yeah, fuck. I've, I, I, I do hate him. Letterman. Um, Letterman. 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 You cut, like Letterman though, right? Cut to. I mean, don't you see my Letterman T-shirt? Oh, that's right. right now? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Wow, yeah. so I didn't know you were wearing that. It says Dave Twenty. What actually is that T-shirt? It's like animals watching a film. But oh, the, that's cool. Film you fucking nerd. Is nerd. Nerd alert. So we cut to Laura Flynn Boyle. She's another great psych gag in her apartment talking to Joy on the phone. Right. And there's some dude like lifting weights in the, in the right, middle right, of her right, apartment. Right, 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 right. And basically she's kind of complaining. So to fuck friend. Fuck buddy. Yeah. She's complaining to Joy, which is also great, too, because the juxtaposition, obviously, between like this fucking hunk's body and obviously like Phyllis Moore Hoffman's body. What the hell is that supposed to goes mean? To show, well, I think it goes to show you the type of man that Laura Flynn Boyle is like attracted to. So attracted people suck. Attracted people suck. Yeah. Then I that's, suck. That's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, cool. Yeah, God. Why do you think I don't get along with you at all? <laughs> I think I I hate you from this the bottom weird. of my heart. This is really weird. Um, do you want, can I fuck you? Sorry about this episode. <laughs> so we, so and they're having a conversation. Like Laura Flynn Boyle is complaining about like how busy her life is or something, and she's just like, oh no, it's actually like not good to be as busy and like as social socially active as I am. Only thing that a successful person, a liter like person who's successful critically and fi- like financially can say. Yeah. Um, it's just hard to be this busy. Yeah, it's hard to be this busy. And then Let's we go to these dinner parties. And then basically uh she gets off the phone with right. her. Um but um Philip Seymour Hoffman finds uh her number, right? Finds uh Joy's number. Right. And gives her a call and I forgot exactly. So I'm assuming, obviously, he was going through the phone book and looking at people with that the name, same last name, yeah. right? And so called Joy. But Joy is expecting a phone call from, from Damien. Damien. Yeah. And she says, "Is this Damien?" <sighs> yeah. And this goes on for a couple is of minutes. Is this Damien? Yeah. And this is actually kind of. And I he's that, jerking off. He's jerking off. Yeah. Hey, what are you wearing? Um, yeah, and it takes she's her, like nothing. <laughs> she takes her forever, forever to figure it forever out. Forever to realize oh who this God. guy is. Yeah. But we. What I, are you wearing? I miss also. I miss also the. Uh, no, the, like underneath the connection was it Trish that tells her that Damien's calling or Helen that tells her. Helen. Damien? Helen told yeah, her. Yeah, Helen. Okay. Uh, I think it was Helen. Yeah. 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 So I can't like, remember. Oh, this guy's gonna call you. Yeah, but like they're talking and and like it's actually sort of. I mean, if it weren't disgusting, it would feel like. And you know that he's not Damien. Yeah. It's kind of like a pitter patter of like, but she's entirely too earnest with him, mm-hmm. and um. <laughs> He eventually is like, what are you wearing? And she says like, oh, you know, just jeans and a t-shirt. He's like, under that. And yeah. she goes like, oh, just some under. And then she goes like, this isn't Damien, is it? And he goes, is your panties wet or something? And then he, and then she hung. Then he comes and you see the cum hit the, is this, is this one? You see it hit yeah. the wall. And then he uses a, 
I'm like gonna throw up. He uses like uh like like basically like a postcard or like an at like a mailer oh to clean up the wall and then he sticks that to the wall with the cum. What the fuck are we talking Happiness about? Happiness again is about? available for seventeen dollars <laughs> as a used DVD. Seventeen oh one because we want to make a profit. Yeah, office. please. Uh, and then we cut to uh, Cameron Manheim knocking please, on. Please, please buy my copy of Happiness. <laughs> I need you to buy it so bad. Knocking. I need to buy. I need to make. Daddy needs to make money. <laughs> knocking on his door. Cap- Cameron. 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 Manheim, who starred in the practice with Lara Flynn she Boyle did. at the Whoa, exact same wow. time that this um, movie was was Whoa. out. Share yeah. its universe. Mm. Um, where she knocks on his door and basically um wants to tell him that Pedro. Pedro. Oh the, I, this movie is the just doorman. a list of indignities. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That Pedro the doorman is dead, right? And that she's Rip Pedro many uh, uh, money for his funeral, right? And then basically he got his penis cut yeah, off. She says like, "Oh, he got his, his dick cut off," which obviously makes sense later on in terms of like why also that she would say that. Um, in, in 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 retrospect, it's a big tell. Yeah, and but clearly, obviously, um, clearly also she's into him. Into Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah, not Pedro, right? And Philip Def- Seymour Hoffman, definitely not Pedro, definitely not Pedro. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is um, not really like into. No, he her, wants to fuck Laura Finn Boyle. Yeah. So, like, what do you like? For example, like the politics of that too, where I think the like his attraction to somebody who is you know like conventionally attractive, and the way in which like, and obviously, yes, I get it that it's done in such a way that you're not supposed to feel sympathy for the character. Right, but it was really kind of like again, like so cliched, like so fucking cliched in certain respects. Do you mean stop? You keep doing this. You keep being like, yeah, I'm talking, and then I'm keep your mouth on the mic. So what I was trying to say is, come out your ears. Um, so is your point that that he? By the way, I think we've met our come. Uh, Coda. I think you can only say it five times on any movie podcast. That's probably true. And I believe we've already said it like twenty times. Sorry. So it's not your so fault. It's not your fault. I know. <laughs> so you're you're talking about how the fact that like he's attracted to a conventionally more attractive person to him, and then there's a woman who would be considered from a traditional standard not not conventionally attractive. attractive. So there's kind of like a hierarchy of hotness or something ridiculous going on where it's like, so what do I make of that in terms of like, how does that make me feel about him as a character? No, I just, I I, I don't know. No, I'm curious. I'm I'm just trying to suggest that again, it's like another things that this film, this (gasps) cliched things that this film does and then tries to like put a twist on it. Well, for everything that this movie does to make you feel something for the characters, it takes away from them in another mm-hmm. way. And Cameron Manheim is a really good example of this because yeah. she's a fucking murderer. <laughs> true. But she also like murdered a rapist. And she so murdered. Like, she, that's true. She did murder a rapist. So like, but yeah. the, so that's a very good point. But just the extent to which we're like asked to just sit and suffer. Yeah, no, I know. Through the like, so I killed him and cut up his body. And like, that guy's a piece of shit. Let me be clear with you. So she's sympathetic. Yeah, yeah no, no. I th- she's totally sympathetic. Right. I, I she's, like she's sympathetic. But... There's no one in this movie who's just easy to like. Correct. Yeah. No. And it, it's also because she. Well, I mean, I like, no. I guess anyway, we'll get to the diner scene because she right. does. She does show remorse. She's, right. she's like saddened by it. But that's also where I wrote, I wrote I in mean, the he's notes. A fucking rapist. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote in the notes, and I, by this point, I already decided that I didn't like this film. But I think I wrote in these notes that I left uh, for us to like go over. I was like, it's like. The way in which this fucking film also deals with her rape is so fucking it's shitty. Disgusting. It's so fucking yeah, exactly. And like, like oh, this is so fucking edgy. Like, fuck you, fuck you. This also, uh, movie doesn't do a great job with people that aren't white people. I would say. Oh, that's what, yeah, that's actually yeah. That's, Let's keep moving because we're so we cut to joy and she's singing a song about happiness. happiness. It's actually a really kind of beautiful song. I, I don't think we've paused to talk about the fact that like if this movie besides the if this movie has like a a core like a heart at it it's jane adams she's great she's always good yeah no. in all the things and she's really no good she in is this. she's the she's uh, again she's the most sympathetic yeah, she's character. really great yeah. in some ways um, in some ways and this is where well she Cam- fi- cameron manheim to your yeah. point might be the most sympathetic and character. this is where we find out also that john lovitz is has committed suicide oh that's right and obviously she feels extraordinarily guilty about this and she we also were revealed that um she used to work with him. Correct, yeah. And there's a scene in the office. This seems actually kind of funny, I felt. So I think that this is one of the... Th- I tweeted about the fact... I tweeted. Oh. 
I tweeted. And I tweeted about the fact that there's some really off-note moments in this movie. And you felt this was one of them? Yeah. I mean, I th- one thing that I think he, that Todd Salons does really well is have a background-foreground thing that's really interesting. Like, he'll put something going on in the foreground, and then you'll see something playing in the background that's really interesting. <laughs> the problem is that, like, there's this, like, Greek chorus quality to these characters that yeah. I'm just kind of like, what? Like, it just doesn't... I don't know. It, it doesn't play for me because it's very, like... What do you remember that guy? What about that guy? How about him? Yeah. And like we have Jane Adams's experience foregrounded there, but like it's just like, did he go like, oh, we're filming the scene tomorrow. Better write it. Like it just doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't. The young Molly Shannon, by the way. Yeah, young Molly Shannon's great. I Molly Shannon does that thing so well. I found this. I found this sympathetic because it kind of speaks to the depersonalized space that is the contemporary um workspace yes and how like nobody like makes eye contact nobody knows one another do you have an office like, i do own, do you share it or do you have your i own do own? yeah we have like uh it's oh, it's almost cubicle-esque oh wow that sucks it does kind of suck. i thought academic professor types were all supposed to be in a room N- not at cuny actually so the next scene is we cut to Hel- helen no actually helen and joy uh, not joy sorry helen and trish are having lunch uh, at a restaurant yeah and this is where like obviously they talk this is where Trish says like, "Oh, maybe I should try to write a novel." And Helen's yeah. like, "You should do it. You should totally do it." But it's also it's like, like I don't know if I want dismiss- that kind of success. Yeah, but it's also eat like my face. It's also like in this very kind of like dismissive sort of way. Do you need you to like tell- pause or something? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Where you could tell. Yeah, I know she's not making a lot of no, eye no, no, contact. Well, I'm, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at all these screens. I'm trying to fuck. What is that? I'm trying to keep everything going. Coming to ears. So we. It's really important to, to go. My phone has ears. Come in my. <laughs> <laughs> my sure. phone has ears. <laughs> sure it does. And this is also where Helen says, "Like we who have everything." Enjoy who has nothing. <laughs> so they're like totally shitting on her sister. Oh man, the way that this movie, uh, this and they movie's discuss credit divorce. flips it, flips that at the end is really great. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. So now we cut to people protesting. So Joy has left her office job right. to be an ESL teacher, which I've done that grind. I've yeah. been on that grind in New York City. I know what it's like. It sucks. I made a yeah. film about it. Can you check it out oh. on my website? It was in like two festivals. <laughs> um, but she crosses a picket line she to be a, a teacher. Line. Yeah, for these um, refugees, right? And they're explicitly told that they're refugees. Right. Well, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. They're sort of like. Um, and people are calling her a scab, obviously, scab. because she is. And she's she says, a fucking she says I'm, not a stri- I'm not a scab, I'm a strike breaker. It's like, no, that's what a scab is. Yeah, actually. that's actually what a scab is. <laughs> yeah. uh, shout out to Lyft and Uber. Yeah. Yeah. Global well, not Lyft and Uber, the drivers. That's what. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, that's what yeah. I meant. I've been writing all these checks directly to the CEOs <laughs> no! of Lyft and Uber. <laughs> I misunderstood what unions were. Am I not doing this right? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, Marvel. And she goes, so she goes into the room, the classroom. And the, 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 yeah, the students are like, they start chanting for Marsha. Yeah, like, Marsha's the Marcia. Baby, yeah. And here's another thing also with this movie. Like, fuck this movie because all of these like refugees, all these people who are not like white are so othered, right? They're just there. Yes, that's a good point. To be like this anonymous mob. Well, also the union members her. are kind of othered. That's actually a really good point too. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, do you, th- I, I don't know too much about, uh, you know, Todd Salons. I know he's a professor. He teaches at NYU. Oh, does he? Or he has. I don't Ish. know if he does anymore. But um, yeah, I, I, he, I think he does the graduate program. But um, what are your feelings on the way this film... Do we want to come back to the union thing at the end? Or do no, you I mean, it's just like, there's again, there's no politics. Interesting. Okay. No, you, <laughs> because, really th- you think so? Yeah, because at when she does at the very end say that like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this line of work. She's not saying she shouldn't do this line of work because she realizes like, oh yeah, being a scab is bad. She says it because obviously the relationship with the student didn't she work out. So let's talk about, so she, she relationship with the student, She these students don't like her, but there is one, one student, student, Vlad, played by uh, Jared Harris, mm-hmm. who's probably best known for playing Lane on Mad Men. Yeah. Um, who and he's supposed to be uh, he's Russian Russian his yeah. name is Vlad and he sort of like tells the other students to, to, like, shut, the to, to shut the fuck up so she can teach yeah 
Exactly. Yeah. And she develops a relationship with them. Right. And obviously, of course, because you you, you know you're watching happiness, it's not going to turn Doesn't, out to be any sort of good relationship. No one ends up happy. And this is actually where, and so the next scene is where Dylan Baker's at the, the baseball game, and this is where you find out that he's kind of infatuated with one of with Billy's little friends. Boy. Johnny. Johnny. I believe his name is. And so he watches Johnny bat, and then we cut to a pizza parlor. Yeah. So basically the dad's <laughs> like, oh, I believe my son might be gay. Should I do something? And Dylan Baker's like, do something? And it's like, yeah, should I get him a, like a prostitute, a sex worker? And he's like, like, no. And this is what's really good about this performance is that you, I think that Bill Maplewood is a perverted man, mm-hmm. but I think his, one of the things the movie does really well is, is, is it grounds you in this guy's perspective so that at times you think he's right about some things, but oh yeah, he's a fucking pederast. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Yeah. But like just the, the language around, it's all just very like, bleh. and the, and the next scene is basically them at home and Johnny is um, sleeping, sleeping over. over and the kids are playing video games. And this is again, where like the film gets really fucking uncomfortable. Didn't you love that video game? That was just boop, boop, beep, 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 boop, 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 I did get, I did get nostalgia. It's like, it's like, well, 98, it's definitely probably like games are better than that. Super Nintendo. Yeah. It would have at least been like, Something. Yeah, yeah, it was fake. And like these bougie, so like, he upper makes, middle class white people would have bought something fancier. He puts like sleeping pills in the ice cream and everyone gets tired. Billy falls asleep. Mom takes right. Junior to bed. But Johnny doesn't eat any ice cream. Right. So, so he has to make, make him like him a, a sandwich. Such an, uh, and, and there's this like, you know, like tension. <gasps> Is he like, going to get to I rape know, him? I know. I was like, oh, this fucking film. This fucking yeah, film. it actually, ju- it actually, now that I think about it, it uses suspense it, the shittiest way possible. Yeah. yeah. Ew. <laughs> Yuck. Did you not watch the same Here, film? Here's your DVD back. <laughs> I don't want it. I know it. I'm the one that had to buy this on Amazon. I'm definitely on a fucking I list. I paid you back for I, it, right? I, you know you did, but I'm, okay. I'm, I'm on a list somewhere. Yeah, no, I yeah, wasn't no. buying that thing. <laughs> so cut to the next day. Well, it's weird because you made that best movies list immediately after watching it, and it's just happiness. <laughs> it's like from one to ten. Yeah, yeah Best yeah. films of the last 20 years. Happiness we'll, and then Amazing Spider-Man 2 because Dylan Baker plays Lizard oh, yeah. in it. Yeah, and, well, and then, uh, yeah, and then like number eight is like uh, Multiverse, Spider-Man. Uh, Enter the Spider-Verse. Enter, Enter, Enter the Spider-Verse, sorry, because that film's so amazing. Great. But all the other films, just happiness. Um, and then cut the next day. Dylan Baker and Life During Wartime the sequel to Happiness Dylan Baker is in bed with uh, his wife wife. and he seems fulfilled sexually and it's gross and she and she wakes up and she's like what happened yeah and he's like uh yeah and of course when you say did we we mean did they bone but of course yeah um and cut the and this is also like where the film like this like becomes really like about him the dad yeah because then now we have like another scene where they're at breakfast and the kid um throws up he throws up yeah the kid throws up and this is so awful yeah and he drives him home um and then they cuddle in the car he, well yeah he like he uh the kid like falls asleep puts his head on uh-huh. the show and then falls into his lap and we're supposed to be like yuck yuck yeah. yuck like little boy is giving guy a blowjob and there's another fucking scene oh is, is that what i mean that's what like what's supposed to like sort of like the, no he doesn't actually give him yeah. a blowjob but like i think that like him f- like putting that's his head in his the, lap yeah. and you're, like i remember just being like i rolled my eyes so hard my like neck hurts yeah i think we're gonna call the cops on us like what the fuck is <laughs> this film and then we cut to later that night again uh, Bill is talking to Billy and they're talking about like penis size like the uh, and he's like Billy's it's not like the length that matters it's the width it's the yeah it's the width girth yeah but then there's a, there's this funny thing where like I think like Billy says like oh like my comment Ben Freeman yeah Friedman says he's he has like a 12 inch penis or something 11 inches yeah. 11 inches George get your facts <laughs> oh, yeah, right sorry. and he's like Ben Ben Friedman is full of shit he's but he shit. also is revealed in that scene that his parents are out of town Oh, yes. Yeah, on vacation. Yeah. And then there's a dinner scene where they're planning to go to a PTA meeting and the babysitter cancels. Right. Yeah. And the dad leaves to go Later to the PTA on. meeting yeah. so the mother can take care of him. And he calls and gets the kid's address. Right. Yeah. And goes over there. And there's a shot of a street sign. That says like troll. Yeah. says the name of the, the street. And uh, as far as it goes, it's a tastefully handled <laughs> rape of a child. Yeah. Oh, my God. And film. then he comes home and uh, he has gotten brought in home milk. Yes, and that but that's later. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, like, it, it, now that we're like going through like scene by scene, I'm like, what the fuck is even the point? Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like let's wrap, let's wrap it, let's wrap. All it. these kind of like vignettes that kind of lead to like nowhere, and then right. so like then we cut to like Mona, who's like trying to find a place to live in. Uh, and again, I think at some point, something like there's discussion about like loneliness here. Yeah, um, uh, L- Lenny goes and and has. Uh, 
has sex with Diane. Has sex with Diane. <laughs> Who's a woman that's mentioned earlier too? Because Mona's like, oh, you're like you're in love with uh, Diane or something. Yeah. Or you're into Diane because she's a little bit younger, and he's like, I'm not into anybody. Yeah. I will say this though: after they have sex, that's like to me like one of the most touching scenes in the film. Where like like she, so they have sex, and like Bengazar like gets off of her. Lenny and Diane. Yeah, Lenny gets off of uh, Diane, and he's like like looking around and she thinks like he's he feels guilty and she's like don't feel guilty don't feel guilty. he's like he's like no i don't like i don't feel anything at all yeah and i feel like that to me was actually like um a heartfelt moment in the film yeah where you kind of like really get to like the desperation i guess that lenny's character is the only one who doesn't really do anything terrible in the movie to anyone he just kind of wants out he just kind of wants out yeah. yeah he seems exhausted goes to his doctor and suicidal so let's wrap up let's wrap this up uh let's let's get to the end very quickly so we can talk about some of this stuff yeah so um cameron manheim uh whose character's name is christina christina shows up back at philip zimmer hoffman's place they have a weird altercation and this is after by the way uh where philip zimmer hoffman has had like he, so they have that exchange, right? Where Lara Flynn Boyle actually is in, into him. Yes, there's a scene where he cuts her and calls her, and he's like, "Oh, fuck you so bad, you're so full of shit." Yeah. And she like is and into, she's into it. it, and this is which is actually very funny. It's very funny, and it and it happens right after you see her in her apartment, like freaking out. Yeah, where she like calls herself like a phony and like like talentless yeah. or something. And then her and phone immediately he rings. Her. He basically is like, "You're a phony and you yeah. suck." And yeah, no one cares about and it. she's like, "Yeah, I do suck. I'm a zero. And then eventually they meet. Like he walks over, he knocks on her door. They have this and really awkward like, yeah. moment on the couch where he like slowly creeps his hand And then she says, it. this isn't working. This isn't working. It's very funny. Yeah, it's very funny. Why doesn't Todd Solondz just embrace his like physical comedy genius and just like make good comedies? Like, I think it's there. Oh, I think yeah, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's, there's a, it's a, kind of like the cynicism. I think yeah. that's, again, what like, really pisses me off. Like the, the film believes like cynicism is saying something. Right. When, yes. Yeah. Um. So let's jump. Let's just very, very quickly get to the end of the summary. Uh, Philip Zimmer Hoffman ends up going, uh, going out with this Cameron, Cameron Mannheim woman after Christina. having like an awkward thing. Um, they dance and they they have Which is a dinner, great scene, yeah. and then it's revealed that she was raped by this guy Pedro, and she has murdered, murdered him, him and and is slowly throwing him away. Joy ends up going home with her. Uh, with her uh, student Vlad and they have sex but it's revealed that Vlad is married or has a girlfriend Doesn't care about who her. attacks Joy yeah. um, at, at her job. Joy goes to confront him about it realizes that Vlad has stolen her stereo and guitar mm-hmm. and wants a thousand dollars from her and he, she gives it to him. Yes. Um, and finally Trish Finds out that finds out her, that her husband um, is a pedophile because he's arrested by the police. Yeah, I will say this: I didn't think because it was going the there. father, the father of Johnny, calls the police on him. Um, and there's a brief scene where Johnny uh, talks to the police and, and they and find out, yeah, bleeding. Uh, and uh, the am I missing anything big? I guess the other thing is that the final moment between Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. and Cameron Manheim is them laying in bed it's together. A, it's a beautiful moment. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's a beautiful, yeah. Kind they kind of, they, they climb into bed and they, they, they're both like fully clothed. Uh, well, she's wearing like her like nightgown, but yeah. they, and like they turn away from one another. Right. Which suggests obviously not like the happiest of endings. And right. also you find out at the very, very end that she's been arrested for murder. She gets arrested for murder. <laughs> yeah, but you only find out because the last scene is the, the family right. um, having like brunch or something. So really quickly before that, it's worth pausing to talk about the final scene between Bill Maplewood and Billy Maplewood, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's very it's clear the whole family knows that Bill Maplewood is a rapist. Mm-hmm. So Billy comes to talk to him. And basically, yeah. And, and Billy's and like, did all. you rape? Did you? Did you? What did you do with? these kids yeah. and he admits to having sex with them yeah. and then billy asks his dad bill uh would you do that stuff to would you do that stuff to me and he says no i would jerk <laughs> off yeah and then billy cries and then we see trish billy and her other son leaving leave yeah and then a title card they leave very early in the morning and then a title card says six months later and the entire and in family so billy mom trish sisters helen and joy and parents Lenny and Mona. Mona are together in Florida. And, and the kids on the balconies watching this woman at this pool. Changing. 
and they're all eating a meal and some of them are drinking, some of them are not. And sort of the alliances have shifted. So Joy and Helen are kind of together and Trish is clearly the like pathetic one. Yeah. Who, you know, married a pederast. Yeah. Um, and Billy is watching a woman. Am I am I steamrolling? No, sorry, no, 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 sorry, sorry. And Billy, because I want to get to this. Yeah, this yeah, 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 the yeah. Is interesting. And Billy is masturbating, masturbating in the balcony. In the balcony, um, and you know we've spent a big chunk of this movie watching this guy Alan call women and say terrible things to them on the phone. I'm not even sure if we spelled that out as clearly as we could be, but yeah. he's just dis- well, he's awful. He's yeah, he's awful, but. Billy comes watching this right. woman and it, you see his cum hit the wall and then it or cuts the, to the railing, yeah. a reaction shot of his face and he looks exactly like That's a good point. Alan. Yeah, and I did not pick up on that, but you're totally right. Um, and it's... And also the dynamic too of the, him like looking at this woman. He's looking at this woman and he's... I mean, he's been told by his father that... I mean, he's found out that his father is a pederast and that his father would not fuck him. And so if there's something interesting that the film does for me is that it deals with the idea of like there are people in the world who are so fucking damaged by garbage and garbage family and all these things that these are cycles that keep repeating. The idea that and the one of the things that's interesting is that Helen says to Joy like, oh, I have a man for you. And, you know, she's talking about Alan. It's very clear that joy is that oh, Helen is going to so? oh yeah 100% the way oh, she I talks about it, he's that. in computers it's 100% Alan oh. so my theory is she's that's maybe gone up. 100% which is crazy to think so that's just still friends 6 months after the I fact? think I just think my feeling 100% is she says he's in computers and it's it's supposed to be Alan oh. and if the Trish says then Trish says something I like computers too. right <laughs> I like computers why can't like, I yeah, oh my god and then she's like no 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 this is and she's laughs right then she laughs and I'm just like no no this guy isn't for you yeah this guy isn't for you but there's something about the mirroring of Philip Zimmer Hoffman's character Alan in this kids mm-hmm. yeah no you're that's right very that's very interesting really great, and yeah. it speaks maybe to your I don't know your theory about history because it's like everyone is in pursuit of like feeling good for a second yeah no completely but like at the expense of everybody else's sort of misery yeah and then i think that again that's where like this is obviously like the moment of happiness in the the film yeah so the very last thing is the boys uh, billy says i came yeah and everyone looks at him and that's how like how the film kind of ends but again like i think like if you're i just didn't read it like i i think you're supposed to take it as a sincere moment of happiness that's supposed to be an earnest Kind of, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, no, I yeah. think you're right, but I, 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 that's I, what makes I it look so it's just not shitty. that inch. It's just not all that compelling to me. It's not. I agree. Like if that's if that's your thesis, if that's like what it comes down to, like this is where like happiness is. It's not let's say like establishing like meaningful connections or bonds like other people. Yeah. Or let's say, and that's what's also shitty about like. Do you think the film is self aware though about this about the fact that it's saying this? I think it thinks that it's. Cynic- again like i said i think it thinks that cynicism is saying something i see and i think that's a ch- ch- totally fucking cheap way mm. but that's why to me it's like it's totally of its time it's also a movie that seems to mistake maybe this is exactly what you're saying but seems to mistake nihilism for profundity yeah no totally exactly like wow how deep no it's not yeah like it doesn't and i don't think and i, I don't i don't want i don't think a, a film needs to be like look the fucking turn horse right there's no hope it's a fucking it ends mm. in like death it ends in destruction but it's still like saying it something. gestures it's not towards cynical hope, I think. and it does gesture at some point with the gypsies at the yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's not a exactly there is some hope to it there's like a, a certain kind of sense that there's a, a potential for something different it's good that we're talking about mainstream films like the turn <laughs> horse on our podcast i fucking love the turn yeah horse. it's, it's so bellatar's the greatest there ever was it's a it's a good thing phyllis hoffman's in that too so we'll be able to the talk turn about horse yeah, yeah he yeah, is yeah. the horse plays the t- yeah the titular turn this is the horse. titular horse he plays Nietzsche, actually. And the uh, guy goes to him. He's like, he's like, he's like oh, poor horse. You're dying. I do think that if, if I could imply a dialectic relationship oh. between Philip Seymour Hoffman's character and the young Billy Maplewood is one of the most fascinating things the film does. But again, it doesn't necessarily say anything that we wouldn't already maybe understand except to like root our understanding of someone's really fucked up perversions in like a family tragedy. Yeah. 
without question. And I think we didn't. And the tragedy that is America. Ah, without question. And it's also it is the ongoing tragedy. The ongoing. Welcome to the ongoing tragedy that is America. Let's talk a little bit about Philip Seymour. So that's happiness. Amazing. That's happiness. Let's talk a little bit about Philip Seymour Hoffman. That he's amazing? Yeah, that he is uh, truly an yeah. incredible actor. Um, one thing we did, uh, to, uh, in addition to watching the film, is oh, we watched yeah. um, the scene from Boogie Nights, which came a couple of years before this. 94, I believe. 90, where, uh, he sh- where Philip Seymour Hoffman playing... Scotty J. So Scotty, oh yeah, Scotty we J. the scene in Boogie Nights where Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, playing Scotty J shows Dirk his car, his car, and they're sort of looking at the car, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Scotty J is really enthusiastic, and he kisses Dirk Diggler, and is like, "I'm sorry, I did that." Yeah. And there's this really weird exchange, and like he j- he tries to be like, "Oh, I'm just so drunk." And it's like he's not drunk. Exactly. Yeah. This this scene also the the registers right it goes from um like funny to sad to pathetic. It's, it's, like, it's so quickly. There's more contained in this scene than I feel like there is in happiness in some ways in, in terms of how I in feel. In many ways, yeah. But and then it, after uh, Dirk Diggler walks away because it's so awkward. It's, there's a the only cut in the scene cuts to him in the car and he's like, he's an "Idiot, <laughs> idiot, stupid." And that, it, that's actual. I audio feel from like the film, when I joke. I, <laughs> I feel like when I joke, I combine the oh, "fuck you" in your ears <laughs> and the like, and the like idiot. Guy, yeah. Because early in his career, he's playing these like really low status characters, yeah, who have like a that are that are repressed and yeah, have yeah. something kind of wrong with them, if, if we can say that. And like, there's just such an I don't know what if you. But well, the reason I suggest watching the scene is I feel a relationship between these two characters. Yeah. Well, again, that's why like he's such an amazing like somatic actor, like mm. he bodily, like in the way in which like he really kind of wears like these um, people's personalities, right. right? And he's so good at kind of expressing that. And also to think about him as like as an actor who's able to pull like the patheticness of like Alan and yeah. um, Scotty and also just like four or five years later, you know, turn around, well, maybe longer than that, but to turn in like the masterful performance in like MI3 where yeah. he's just kind of like super When villain. he uses his body in a different way. Yeah, exactly. And we totally. can sort of start to see it like and the way, and like the master, the same thing, master, you know, yeah. the, like the, I always think about the pigs, the pig fucker scene yeah. and the master. Um, I also want to remember that Well, scene, he's just but... like, you pig fuck. Yeah. I'm really excited to see like how his as we watch these films how he went from playing these kind of let's say pathetic characters to these like really powerful formidable yeah yeah figures totally. um and how he that because you bring up a good point about his size and his sort of like the way he uses his body um is really interesting so far we've seen him play three very repressed men yes. who don't know how to navigate the world yeah and he that seems to be a little bit of his calling card and i haven't seen patch adams um and i'm not gonna but i think he's sort of an adversarial character in that movie huh. too it'd be also interesting to think about like how what he does with capote's sexuality in that film because i've never seen it oh yeah, yeah yeah that's true well, well uh, we did it this was happiness we got through it um <laughs> i i do want to say that um you know there's been a little bit of a hate-a-thon on this but it is a specific vision. It's it is, very yeah. well made. I'm glad I saw it, yeah. even though I will probably never see this film again. I think again. it's a bit of a relic, but I, I also have to give credit where credit's due to the fact that this film got made, and it got made at a very specific time in American cinema, and like we're far away from that. And that's that's disappointing, because I'd rather support like an idiosyncratic vision like this, though maybe not from the same kind of person again. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, a, it's a confounding little movie. It certainly is. Well, I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Rogopoulos. And this was... Uberbusters. It was Uberbusters. That's right. It was Uberbusters. My phone has ears? Why are my phone ears? Why are you repeating a joke from earlier? It's awful.